Hello again, everyone. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. Great to have you here with us again. And Philip, great to have you back with us this week. Always good to be with you. I see that you've produced another book. Yes, it's come out while you were away. Yes, The Christian Gospel. That sounds like a good idea. Well, yeah, I think so, yeah. It's not not quite as large as your most recent book. No, 81 pages. I think I've written an appendix longer than that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yours is 487 pages or something, I don't know. Yes. Well, who does most of the talking on this show? (laughs) (laughs) It is a bit that way. But it's called A Short Account. Of the momentous news about Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's your subtitle. And it looks like a short account. I think that for someone who doesn't read much like me, it's great to have a short account. It is a short account. And it's kind of why I wanted to produce this kind of book. It just occurred to me that we didn't have this kind of book extraordinarily. That is a short, under 100 pages explanation of the gospel of Jesus. It hasn't got an angle. It hasn't got an apologetic kind of lead into it in an apologetic sort of issue. It doesn't try and address a particular issue via the gospel. It's just an explanation of the gospel. Yeah, that's incredibly valuable. And you do need it to be short. I remember many years ago we had What is a Christian written by John Chapman. It was a very important little pamphlet. It was short enough to read. I think people's ability to read and concentrate for long periods in general, if anything, has been reduced. I mean, the newspaper articles are getting shorter and shorter. And so it's important that for a book that we, I presume, giving, you've got to tell me who you've written it for, but I presume given for people who want to hear and understand the gospel, it's really important that it's it's not a weighty big tome. Exactly. It, it is very much for giving away. It's designed to be that book that either initiates a conversation Or perhaps you've been having some conversations with somebody and you want to sort of summarise and say, look, we've been talking for a while, but look, here's what I really believe. If you want to see the guts of it, it's in this little book. And so it's important that it's short, but I think it's also important that it's a book, interestingly, that it's, it's something you give to someone for them to take away and pause in their own time and read and think through themselves and see the, the arguments and content of the gospel develop from one point to the next, the six points, uh, and be able to think those through for themselves in a way that it's often difficult to do just in a conversation. You can send someone away to, to pause and to think. Yes, essential of Cease being the CEO of Matthias Media, the books are now very nice-looking books, aren't they? It, it, actually is a, it, it actually is something that you would not be embarrassed giving. You what know, do you mean you're embarrassed by all the no, other books? From no, the no, no, the not past. at all. I'm getting defensive now. I'm just saying <laughs> it does. It is a nice book in its feel and in the actual type font and face. You know, there's enough blank paper to make it an easy read for people. And yes, there's many times I'm in a conversation with people, and you're right. At the end of it, you say, "Look, here's a book that will follow up what we've talked about." I'd be quite happy to give this book because it looks so good. I'd like to give this book because I'm not giving away, okay, you've understood this, now here's the Encyclopedia Britannica, go study it, right? And yes, it's it's not going to give all the arguments, it's just going to explain what we've been talking about clearly and a logical framework and I think it's very valuable. I presume and hope that we've got reduction for multiple buying. A Christian should read this book so they know what they're giving away. 
but then they should buy 6, 10, 20 copies of it because they are intending to have conversations with people. Now, I'm very bad at this, Philip. Like, most authors should be able to rattle off exactly where you buy this book and go to – well, I still can do it. You can go to MatthiasMedia.com or .com.au. I know that yeah. much. But for this conversation, because I suspected you might ask me this – I actually went and found out what price it was because up to that point, I didn't know what price it was. <laughs> yes. And apparently, if you buy talking in Australian dollars, it's nine ninety five if you just buy one copy, so basically ten dollars. Um, if you buy two or more copies, it immediately drops down to eight dollars. And if you decide you want to be really evangelistic or you're a church or just want to get together with a few friends and you buy 50 copies, it's only five bucks. Yeah. So buy a box of them, buy 50 and share them around with your friends and give them to people because yeah. oh, I'm glad. it's the best way to buy it. Oh, good on Matthias Media. That's exactly right. That's what should be done. Um, I don't know whether you do much fishing. I used to. I don't these days. Like, like you, I used to do a bit of fishing, but it was a long time ago. But one of the signs of a, of a true fisherman who, after all, remember, are always optimists, is they carry something with them to carry the fish home in. And fishermen who go without some bag or net or, or bucket to carry home the fish are not real fishermen, are they? And so to enter into conversations with people without something that you're going to put in their hands afterwards, and this is the kind of book you just have on your shelf in the study. Every clergyman should have half a dozen or more copies just sitting in the study for the conversation they're going to have. But I think lay people should be for the same reason, that we just have this book ready to go because it's like you're fishing without a basket, without a, a net. I've done this with a fresh start over many, many years. A fresh start's much longer and does put forward a much more apologetic argument for the gospel. This is just the gospel. That's all it is. And the extraordinary thing is, it's funny you should mention a fresh start, the extraordinary thing is how few books like this exist in the Christian world. Yeah. Back when we were distributing a fresh start, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I remember, we we got the rights to a fresh start as Matthias Media back from Hodder and Stoughton, and we decided we'd distribute it into the United States. And so we approached a big Christian book distributor in the United States about distributing a fresh start and our other books and our other books all the different things we had they they understood those and they had a category for them in their distribution and re christian retail system and we came to explain to them what a fresh start was and we said it's an evangelistic book and they said sorry it's a so you mean it's a book about evangelism no no it's it's an evangelistic book it's a book that teaches and preaches the gospel that you give away and they said, so you mean it's a book to train Christians how to share the gospel? No, no, it's, it's a sort of evangelistic <laughs> book. Yes. Uh, in their entire book distribution system, they had no category for a book that you would give away to a non-Christian. And this has been our, our experience ever since, that those books, books that are specifically designed to, for a Christian to give to a non-Christian to either start a conversation, continue a conversation, uh, a book that addresses the non-Christian and teaches the gospel to them, it's, it's one of the, the astonishing facts of Christian publishing is just how few of those books there are. How many Christian books do you think are currently in print in the world, Philip? Uh, I know too many. But I don't know the number. 9.2 million. There are 9.2 million Christian books currently in print the last time I looked. And I think you would find that 0.001% <laughs> of them are books that 
explicitly teach and preach the gospel right. to a non-Christian person. And so strangely, we, we just don't have many of them. And so it's one of the reasons I was keen to produce this. Well, because since a fresh start, it's hard to think of many books. We've had lots of evangelistic books that start with an apologetic question, perhaps, and lead into a gospel or start with a particular issue that people are confronting in their lives yes. and speak to that with the gospel, all of which are very valuable. But just a straightforward book that says, look, here's the Christian message. Let me tell you what our message is. We have got a very famous book on that called Two Ways to Live. Now, it doesn't run to 81 pages, you know. And I'd say a booklet rather than a book. Okay, well. <laughs> a pamphlet, a leaflet perhaps. How does this, the Christian gospel, a short account of the momentous news about Jesus Christ, how does that differ from Two Ways to Live? Well, it's built on Two Ways to Live. So it assumes that the Two Ways to Live summary is a really good summary of the one New Testament gospel, the gospel that is. And it uses that framework, those six boxes, which, as you know, the kind of first three boxes, creation, sin and judgment, kind of lay the groundwork and set the biblical context to understand the big announcement, which is Jesus Christ, his death for our sins and his resurrection to be the ruler and king and judge of the world, requiring a response from us of repentance and faith. That that simple two ways to live sort of framework of the gospel is basically the framework of the book. It has a little introduction to welcome people to the book and what it is and why they're reading it and why they should read it. And then it's got six chapters that just works through those six points, connecting them together and showing how uh, the gospel flows in that kind of clear logic. But as an evangelistic book or a book that ex explains the gospel, it's not like the gospels themselves, is it? It's six logical kind of propositions that are laid out for us. You say it's the logic of the gospel. But how does that relate to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John? Well, that's a very good question. And sometimes we get confused between the gospel and the gospels. In fact, we're supposed to kind of spell one with a small g and one with a capital G to try and at least reference them correctly when we're talking about them. But you're right, the Gospels with a capital G tell a narrative, a story, a history of Jesus and why and he, he came and who he is and what he did and what he taught and how people reacted to him and they culminate in his death and resurrection. They tell the story, the narrative, the historical narrative. But the point of them as a whole is to proclaim him as the Christ. So it's very interesting that you get to the end of, say, John's Gospel and he sort of gives it away. He says, the reason I'm writing this, John 30 to 31, I think, isn't it, mm. is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. But it is a bit of a trick, isn't it? Because we often read the Gospels as an evangelistic thing to do with someone. Let's read a Gospel of Mark together or preach through a Gospel and yet as we go through, the story is kind of unfolding and developing and you don't get the whole story until you've heard the whole story. Well, it does introduce you to the real person of Jesus. And if you, if you have a two ways to live view of Jesus, he's like a product. He, he's, I mean, it says he's a man, but it doesn't really tell you much of him as a person. You know, you take the Gospel of Mark, it's an easy thing to read through with people and just keep asking the question, who is this man, which chapters 1 to 8 spells out, and then why is he come, which chapters 9 to 16 spells out. And so, in a sense, you can derive the Gospels from it. But it's interesting, when you come across to the book of Acts and you get accounts of people preaching the Gospel, they don't go through the narrative very much. They speak of Jesus having died, 
and having risen, but they don't actually give you the historical accounts of him wandering in Galilee or crossing the sea or... They don't tell parables. They don't tell no. stories. They don't expound a gospel episode in order to preach the gospel when they preach the gospel. It's That's interesting, right. isn't it? It is interesting. And when, when you come to the, the letters, they give a theological understanding. So there's almost nothing about the atonement in the book of Acts. And yet in 1 Corinthians and Romans, there's a lot about the atonement in explaining the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are hints of it in the gospel accounts, but the hints that you get, you read back from the epistles to make clear. I mean, he died as a ransom for many, but I can use that verse because it's about the only verse that gives you that kind of clear atonement statement. However, you've got to understand the atonement. So this book is not like the gospel's gospel. This book is like the epistle gospel. Like the Acts of the Apostles gospel. Yes, that's a way of saying it. That's right. That's how they presented the great news of Jesus. And I mean, scholarship, New Testament scholarship for a long time has noted that the framework of the Acts of the Apostles gospel, the gospel they preached in Acts, bears a resemblance to the structure of the gospels, to yes. the, the structure of the gospel story, to Jesus having come, having been testified as, as, a, as a great man through his, his amazing works, having died and risen from the dead. So the trajectory of the story is there. Yes. But it's interesting that they, they don't tend to preach or explain what the momentous news is by telling you the entire story. They just tell you what the momentous news is, that Jesus is the Christ, and this is how we know he is. Yes, you wonder how much the narrative events are known. I mean, the early part of Acts, uh, when they're preaching in Jerusalem, well, they did know about what had happened. But when Paul's going to the, you know, Athens or Corinth, you can't expect them to know what happened, but he still doesn't spend... We don't have a record of him spending time telling us about the events of Jesus. But the events of Jesus that we have in the Gospels, they're not a biography. Or if they are, they're not a modern biography. Modern biography tells you a lot about the family background, about the birth, about early trauma in your life, etc. About the whole socio-cultural context in which you grew up. And... Yes. Whereas the Gospels' account of Jesus points to the Old Testament context if you want to understand the gospel, go to the Old Testament because that's the context that makes sense of what happens with Jesus. I mean, the, the passage you mentioned, for example, in John 20 about that this shows Jesus is the Christ. If you don't know who the Christ is, that doesn't help you in the slightest. But you get the Christ from the Old Testament. And so Mark's gospel you know, the beginning of the gospel of the Jesus, the, uh, the Christ, the Son of God, as it is according to the scriptures. And immediately you quote the Old Testament, because if you're going to understand Jesus, you've got to understand the Old Testament. So your context for the gospel, which here in your book is uh, creation, sin, judgment, the context in the gospel's accounts is the Old Testament and the expectations of the coming of the kingdom of God and the expectations of the Christ. So as you're reading the gospel of Mark or Matthew or John or something with someone week by week, chapter by chapter, or as you're preaching it chapter by chapter, just the advance of the narrative of the story, how does that relate to the gospel as a whole? And how do you help someone understand what the gospel announcement is 
from these different stories because no one of story, no one chapter, no one parable contains it. It's it's part of a long narrative that tells the whole story of Jesus' life and death. How do you preach the gospel or explain the gospel through the gospels? In part because we overlay the narrative with our theology, our systematic theology. It's also that you've got to get through the whole of it. That's in part why I prefer to go through Mark because it's, it's the shortest. One third of the gospel occurs in the last night of the life of Jesus. And so the ways in which the Gospels have been written, it's all about the death and resurrection of Jesus. To understand the death and resurrection of Jesus, you hear enough of the life of Jesus to see why the death and resurrection of Jesus is the appalling conquest of the Christ who marvellously conquered sin and Satan. So we read any particular chapter or, or preach on any particular chapter or episode in the Gospels, whenever we do that, we kind of do do it with our own prior knowledge of the whole. We know the whole story, we know how it ends, and we tend to read or preach with the whole in mind. Um, But some parts that we read when we're reading the Gospels are trickier than others in terms of relating to the whole. Like the parables are often a really interesting one. Like as you read or preach a parable, it it performs a particular function in the ministry of Jesus. And, I mean, how do you read or preach a parable with somebody and relate it to the gospel? Yeah, I mean, parables, that's a good illustration to pick up on parables because you take uh, chapter 4 in Mark's gospel where there's a series of parables, starting with the parable of the sower. Several different things are given to you in Mark 4 on the parables. One is the explanation as to why Israel is not embracing Jesus. quote from Isaiah chapter 6 shows that that was never the plan of God. And in fact, Jesus is speaking in parables not to make his message simple and easy for people to understand, but really so as to divide his audience and particularly to keep the country from repenting and being saved from God rather than repenting and being saved by God. For the Lord Jesus came into Israel to be condemned, to die for our sins, to be rejected by the people. But there's other things that the parables do. For the parables are are riddles. Their aim is to divide the audience between the insiders to whom everything is explained and the outsiders to whom everything's in riddles, but also to challenge you to listen, to think. And so constantly have this little phrase, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear, because they force, they confront you with who do you think Jesus is? What do you think the kingdom of God is? How do you relate to Jesus and the kingdom of God? Now, to those who are not actually thinking, they're interesting stories, memorable stories. But you walk away thinking, well, he's a good storyteller. But to those who are pressing in on the kingdom, for those who are desperate to come to salvation, as you press further into the parable, the parable presses into you. The riddle actually is you. It forces you to confront the Lord Jesus Christ, to confront God, to confront your own sinfulness. And so the the parables are a profound existential experience for people. It's interesting how we're often after the silver bullet for evangelism, the the magic trick, the thing that's really going to work at last, this way of presenting the gospel. 
is going to finally connect with people and really make the difference. But it's fascinating how with Jesus and with evangelism more generally, it's often a long process or a, or a, a drawn-out process of people searching, looking, thinking, conversing, asking, being challenged, being confused, pressing further, asking again. And in the reality of our of our conversations with people, that's how it usually goes. It, it's usually a matter of, of ongoing conversations and questions and explanations. And in that sense, reading the gospel with someone week by week, letting them confront Jesus, have these parables that are confronting and confounding, and having to talk those through, think them through, puzzle over them, that the whole message is revealed in this unfolding sort of way as you read this account of who Jesus is and what he did. That's a powerful way to evangelize, and and, uh, and certainly in writing a book like the one I've written and saying what a useful resource it is, uh, it doesn't at all counteract the, the value of that kind of long-term or ongoing relational, conversational Bible reading evangelism that's so central and important. It's, it's a useful adjunct to it, though, to get to a point where you draw it together and say, well, this is the kind of summary and implications of everything we've been reading for the last 15 weeks together. Yes, I think there is this desire for the silver bullet. And I know what the silver bullet is. Actually, I heard it described in church last night. The man used two words about Paul and his conversion. It talked about him being confronted by Jesus and claimed by Jesus. We get converted when Jesus claims us. The pouring out of his spirit regenerating us. And that can happen in a moment. But you're right. It could happen in a moment after six months of struggling with ideas, after two years of going to church and listening to the Bible. It can happen on the first conversation I have about the Lord Jesus, but that is fairly unusual. But the the instant element of our conversions is when Christ claims us as his own. It reminds me a little bit, if I can use a quite profane illustration, um, of I forget who said this originally, but they were describing bankruptcy. Um, that is, bankruptcy happens gradually and then suddenly. <laughs> yes, yes. And conversion often happens that way as well. That's right. It, uh, and in the end, it's, it's the work of God where the penny drops, as we say, or the lights go on. And it's interesting that we use this phrase, silver bullet, which has just occurred to me as you were speaking about it. Like a silver bullet, of course, is how you kill a vampire. That's where the illustration comes from. It's, I'm not up on my vampires. Well, so it's, I didn't the, it's the kind of bullet that kills the vampire, the silver bullet. Thank you. Um, and in a sense, that's, that's an apt illustration because it's the, it's the bullet that finally kills us. It's that point where the old self finally dies and we come to a whole new life. Yes, but I don't think we'll push this Let's not push down the vampire far. too far. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but you see, some people use other things. Like if we do you have the right apologetics, we'll see people converted. Or if we use narratives, if we just tell stories, people will get converted. The one storyteller in gospeling is Jesus, and he tells stories so that people won't get converted. It's, it's, That's why he tells the parables deliberately. Right. <laughs> so there's no, here is the method by which people will be converted. Of course, ultimately the method is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit regenerating people. And so what we must do is just faithfully keep telling people about the Lord Jesus, either using the narrative accounts of the Gospels or the kind of preaching of the apostles in the in the book of Acts or the theological discussions that you get in the epistles as the Christian life is applied. 
But I still like what you've got as the Christian gospel because this booklet is the one that I'd be handing out to people after I've had the conversation with them. I don't know whether it's a booklet to work through with them. It it seems too small to be a workbook. It's not meant to be that. It's meant to be that particular resource in all the suite of things you might use that you give to someone for them to go away and read on their own, for them to think through and confront the gospel of Jesus for themselves. And it's a short enough form for for most people, even people who aren't great readers, to be able to do that. And it's that kind of resource that in the quiver of arrows, of evangelistic arrows you have, you want one like that. But it's not for engineers because there's no diagrams. (laughs) Oh, these days, engineers have to be literate as well, Philip. You're behind the times. They're very literate these days. Evidently so. But, Tony, thanks for producing it. And Matthias Media, thanks for producing it because I can see a terrific usage for this. Thanks, Philip. And that's perhaps a good point for us to round off and to pray, to pray for the spread of the gospel and to pray for the use of this little resource uh, in that great task. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him, and we thank you for the message about him. We thank you that in that message is your power for salvation. We thank you for bringing the gospel to us, and we do pray for this book now, Father, that you would use it for the preaching of the gospel, for the confirming in people an understanding of what it is that you have done in the Lord Jesus, that you would use it, Father, to bring salvation to many. And we thank you for it and pray for its use in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.